morning. I'll ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at one particular phrase in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. And while you're turning there, um, I'll give you somewhat of the introduction to Ephesians chapter 2. Um, Ephesians was written in two main parts. The first half, the first three chapters, are what is referred to as the orthodoxy or the indicatives. We heard something about this Wednesday night recently from our brother. But the first three chapters tell us, tell the Christians there in Ephesus what's true about them. It's indicating indicatives. It's saying, this is what is true about you as children of God. And the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians is orthopraxy or imperatives. In other words, because of what is true about you in Christ, this is how you ought to live. And so our text in chapter 2 is going to fall in that first half of orthodoxy. It's going to indicate something to you today. And it is always what is true about God and what God has done for us in Christ that produces and propels us forward in the Christian life. So I'm going to say that again. It's always what is true about God and what God has done for us in Christ that propels us forward in our Christian lives. If you're suffering or you would like to see greater measure of holiness in your life, if your prayer life is struggling, what you lack is a knowledge of God and what he's done for you and his son. That is the key. That's the essence of everything we do as Christians comes back to who is God and what has God done in me and for me through his son. I'm actually going to read verses 4 through 7 from Ephesians chapter 2, and then I'll pray and then we'll dive in. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Bow with me in prayer. Our Father, we come to you now in the name of your Son, in Jesus' name, asking you, begging you to show us mercy today. Father, apart from your hand, your sovereign hand, attending upon us in this service today, we will not gain or benefit at all. It is all of grace. and Father, apart from your mercy, I... We'll just ramble, babble, and nothing will be clear. We need you. We need the power of your Holy Spirit here right now. Father, we're asking as your children, as a child begging for bread, Father, we're asking that you might give us a morsel today, that you might show us something more of yourself, help us to see something more of you, that we might grow in a love for you and for your Son. Father, I pray for every person gathered here under your word this morning that we might be stirred, that your truth might do something in us, what you intended it to do. Father, feed your people here today. Father, I pray that you would 
give me strength to say what you would have me to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to primarily be focusing on one phrase that is found repeatedly throughout the New Testament. And it's found in verse 6 that I just read. Talking about Christ. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we're going to start today, and this will take up the majority of our time this morning. I just want to know, what is so special about the phrase, in Christ? You probably, I know if you come here, you hear that phrase all the time. Some of our favorite songs have that language in them. In Christ alone. We always talk about being in Christ or in Jesus' name. What does it mean that you, child of God, are in Christ? Why is that so important? What is he actually saying? And he says, in Christ. Have you ever thought about that? What does it mean to be in Christ? The common thought today is that there are a multitude of positions that a person can be in as it relates to God. So common expressions that depict this are, I need to work on my faith. Or, I know I need to be back in church. Or, I'm not as close to God as I should be. Or, I wish that I was, I know I need to be reading my Bible more than I do. Well, those don't sound all that bad on the surface, but what I want you to understand is these are all attempts by people to acknowledge the fact that they're separated from God while at the same time justifying themselves. They're appealing to the idea that they claim some association with God, even though their lives don't match up with that claim. So if you say, if you come up to a person and you start talking to them about Christ and Christianity and asking them, where do you go to church? Well, you know, I haven't been anywhere in a while. Well, that answer is saying, well, yeah, I know what you're saying is true and I associate with God, but I'm going to acknowledge the fact that I'm falling short, but I'm going to hold on to this idea that I'm somehow connected to God. But the truth is there is no rating scale with God when it comes to his people. The Bible never acknowledges the idea of being kind of a Christian or sort of spiritual. There are only two categories of people in this world, and you're either in one or the other. You're either in Christ or you are lost, dead, and damned. That's the only option. And see, you understand why I'm saying that that terminology that if I know I need to work on my faith. I need to do better than I'm doing to now. Obviously, first off, it's works-based. But the other side of that is that they're saying there's some sort of gray middle ground. Like, I'm not a radical Christian, or I don't go to church every time that I can. You say things like that, a person says something like that, they're creating this rating scale within Christianity. And it's seen, and it plays out practically whenever you talk to people. Because you'll look at somebody and you'll think, I wish that I was more like that Christian, or I was as involved as they are, and you think your relationship with God is somehow lessened as if God cares less about you than someone else who's doing more. There is no rating scale when it comes to God's relationship to his people because every person that has a relationship with God is through the same basis, his son, Jesus Christ. And God's love for each and every one of his children is based upon that and not upon this rating system. Why do I bring that up? Because we're talking about what does it mean to be in Christ? Well, someone who is in Christ, at one point in their life, they were not in Christ. This is talking about those who have been raised up 
in Christ Jesus, to have, sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. So to understand what it means to be in Christ, we need to first look at what it means to be outside of Christ, to not be in Christ. So look back at verses 1 through 3 in Ephesians chapter 2. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So let's go back through those. I want you to pay attention to these, because this is what this is the description of the per- person who is not in Christ. And so to be in Christ is what counters all of these things, all of these descriptions. So before, if you are in Christ today, I praise the Lord for that. But if you are in Christ, this is what used to be true of you. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Not just a little bit sick. You were dead. You were unable to do anything profitable, anything good towards God. Everything that you did was as a dead man, as a corpse. You were dead. In trespasses and sins. You walked according to the course of this world. Everything that you did, no matter how you flavored it or talked it up or tried to paint yourself in a better light than reality was, you were pursuing the same course as this world of yourself and popularity or maybe just success in your own eyes and the eyes of others. But you were pursuing the course of this world. We heard something this morning about the demonic activity in some of the cults and that there are people who experience real things inside cultic false systems, real spiritual things, but they're demonic and they're according to the course of this world. You walked according to the prince of the power of the air. You were a child of the devil is what that's telling you. That you followed your father Satan, that he was the one who was your Lord, even if you would have never admitted it. And you see, these things are true of every single human being that has ever walked on the face of this planet outside of Jesus Christ. These are true of every person, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. All that you did all the time was according to what you wanted to do. Your will was bent towards this evil, and you were a child of wrath. You were headed for destruction, even as every other person. If you're not in Christ here today, you are a child of wrath. The scripture says that the wrath of God is presently being revealed against all ungodliness. God's wrath is being revealed against you right now. His wrath is hovering over you if you're not in Christ today. And you say, why are you going on such a negative lie? Negative. Why are you pointing out all these horrible things? To show you the glory of what it means to be in Christ. I want to show you that. But here's the problem. I just read off all these things that used to be true about you if you were in Christ today. That you were dead in trespasses and sins. Walking according to the course of this world. Walking according to the prince of the power of the air. and Fulfilling the desires of your flesh and your mind and not of God. And you were, you were headed towards destruction as a child of wrath. Something has to happen to change that. You don't just by some strange osmosis by hanging out around someone who's in Christ, all of a sudden find yourself in Christ. Something actually happens to a person to be transitioned from one position to the other. Because I said there's only two categories of people in this world. 
There's the lost and the saved. There are those who are trusting in Christ and those who are not. That is all. That is it. And so how do you go from one to the other? Well, every single human being is born with their hearts and wills bent towards evil. And they're not just a little bit bad. They're a rebel against God. If you're a Christian here today, at one time in your life before now, you were a rebel against God. You hated him. It's what the scriptures teach. We see another similar portrayal of this reality in Romans chapter 5. You don't have to turn there. Verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, And death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. What this is saying in Romans chapter 5 is that we're all born in Adam. And we inherit Adam's sin nature. You understand that? You're not born a indifferent, clean slate. You're not born indifferent to God and to sin and righteousness. You're born into this world a sinner. David said, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. You you understand that here today? That you were brought forth in iniquity. You weren't born just kind of even and got to decide, well, am I going to go after God or not? No, you're born into this world already predisposed towards sin and evil. That's your state, and that's what Scripture teaches. You are under Adam's federal headship. Adam is your father. Adam is the one that you are in. So I'm going to talk today about are you in Adam Or are you in Christ? Those are the only two options. You're in one or the other. We're all born in Adam. And this is evident because all men die. Did you read that in Romans 5.12? Did you hear that? Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. That's how you know that every person is a sinner is because everyone dies. We've all got to die. All of the psychology or self-help books that you can find and memorize don't change the reality that you've got to die. You've got to face God. That's a reality for every one of us. You will die. It doesn't matter how much you can improve your life today. It doesn't matter how much money you can make or how much success you can find or how great a loving family that you can surround yourself with. You've got to die. What is your answer? What is man's answer to death? What can a person do about death? See, we heard about this morning, this new age mysticism. They have no answer to death because everyone's got to die. They just try to get around it by saying, well, we'll be born again, reincarnated, something like that. But they have no answer for death and what happens when we die. Death is the one thing that none of us can escape or get around. We might try to not think about it because it's morbid and sad, but the reality is you're going to die. And there's nothing you can do about it, nothing you can say to change that. When you see the horrors of this position, of the reality of death, of being in Adam, that this this was your lot, this is where you were, this is maybe where you are, that you are facing death, this impending judgment that is coming for you because of your sin and rebellion against this holy God, this is where you are. But when you see the the great depths and sorrow within this situation that you're in apart from Christ, the glory of what He's done for you shines more brightly. There's nothing more glorious than a sinner who says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and then when God is merciful to him, the sinner. 
That's the most glorious thing. Every testimony that says, my vile sin deserved his wrath, but he showed me grace. He showed me mercy in his son. This magnifies the work of Christ. And you don't see the glory of this apart from the depths of your sin. And not just your sin, your helplessness. You weren't just bad going to hell. You were going to hell and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't change it. Even if you come to the right diagnosis, maybe you look at your life and you say, I know these drugs are bad for me, and I know that I shouldn't be doing them. What is going to give you the power to stop doing them? Nothing within you. What is going to give you the power to stop lying this morning? Nothing within you. Even if you understand the problem, you can't fix it. That's what I'm telling you. This Christian gospel is the only hope for the world today. It's the only hope for you today. You can't get away from this. You will not find another cure or a better answer. There is none. And see, I can talk about lying and I can talk about drugs, but what about your lustful thoughts, men, women? What about the thoughts in your mind towards other people where you take advantage of them in your mind and you treat them as some sort of material object that you get satisfaction and pleasure from? And God hates that. And you can't stop doing that apart from something happening to you. As long as you're an Adam, that's going to continue to happen. You have no power, no victory over any of these things apart from Christ, from being in Christ. To be in Christ means that not only my current state, my current state is different. If I'm in Christ now, that means I'm in Him. That means everything is different. Starting today, the day that you come to know Him, you're different. You're completely different. That day, but also your future destination. Everything about you, if you're in Christ, the reason we say in Christ is because everything pertaining to me is now going to come about because of him. In other words, Christ was raised from the dead, so will I. Christ is in heaven in the presence of God, so will I. Christ has done it, and so wherever he is, I am. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live because of Him. So being in Christ means that your situation is determined by Him and not by you. And your final estate, your final destination is going to be determined by your relationship to Christ, whether you're in Him or not. You see, I was in Adam, storing up wrath towards Adam's reward. Adam earned a reward, did you know that? There was a reward. There was a reward for Adam's behavior. And it was coming for him, and it was coming for me because I was in him. Now in Christ, I'm fully prepared for Christ's inheritance as a joint heir. To be in Christ means I get what he should have got. That's what it means to be in Christ. Romans 8, 17 says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. There is an inheritance. There's a reward for being an Adam, and you will find it out. If you don't come to be in Christ, you must be in Him. And in Christ, there's an eternal inheritance as a child, as one who's been adopted, as one who is in kingdom of God and of the household of God because of Christ. But if you're not in Christ, you have no place in that family. You have no place in the family of God apart from being in Him. Not just I know Him, not just I think highly of Him. No, you must be in Him. You must be vitally connected to Christ, in union with Him. 
So you see, this just tears to shreds this idea of some sort of rating scale. As though you kind of come into Christianity a little bit today and a little bit more tomorrow and a little bit more the next day. And you somehow work your way towards God. No, child of God, if you're in Christ today, you are in Christ forever and you're in him fully today. And that's the, that's the call to you today is to surrender yourself to him fully. If you only say, I want to give a little bit, I just want to give this much of me. He doesn't accept that. That's not his offer. He says, come and die. Come and follow me with all of you. All that you have, come and follow me. Take up your cross and die for me. Give Christ all that you have. That's the only grounds. And this country, even this town, is full of people who want to identify with Christ, but they're not his. They're not in him. Everything about their lives is marked by (coughs) these things we heard about. They're dead in sins. They have no victory over sins. And they're walking according to the course of this world. The decisions that they make line up more with those people out there who don't care about God than they do with this word that we have. And the things that they do are in accord with deception and lying and selfishness like the prince of the power of the air. They're fulfilling their flesh and their desires. A true mark of someone who is a deceiver is one who tells you you can have the desires of your flesh and still be a Christian. That's one of the main things that changes. It says you were You were one of these ones who was fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And they're a child of wrath. You say to me, well, they've got a nice house or a million-dollar jet or they're successful in their job. What do you mean? What do you mean that the wrath of God is abiding upon them already? What do you mean that that wrath of God is being revealed against them already? We understand if they were to lose that beautiful home, if their child was to become sick or ill, Something tragic were to happen to them from the hand of our sovereign God like it did Job. They might come to their knees. Sometimes the wrath of God is giving you exactly what you want. Like a teacher who tells you what you want to hear and fulfills your itching ears. Is that not the wrath of God pushing you and hardening you and giving you the desires of your heart that aren't him? But knowing this, knowing that there are only these two positions that a person can possibly be in. Here today, there's only two positions that you can possibly be in. And these are it. That you're either in Christ or you're in Adam. You're either going to heaven and glory with God or eternal fury and hell with God. God's there in both cases, either punishing you forever or blessing and loving you as a child forever. That's the only two possibilities. And you can't be in between and you can't be kind of one and kind of the other. So knowing that and knowing that by nature you're separated from God. You're separated from God by nature. You're born into the condemned category. What is the only logical question to ask? This is, I'm not making this up. This isn't Dexter's words. This is the word of God. This is God's estimation of you. This is God's estimation of me. That I'm condemned in a child of wrath apart from his son. What is the question? Answer is how can a person go from being an Adam to being in Christ? What is the way of escape from this death, decay, and misery of Adam? How do you get out from behind this reward of, of Adam? How do you change? What must you do? 
Because that's what we want to know. What do I have to do? How can I change this? How can I change my situation? Well, look in your text in Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us. You need to know today that you're born in Adam. And apart from these two words, you'll die in Adam. But God. The testimony of every true Christian is but God. Apart from God doing something, you're going to hell and you're going to deserve it. And God will be glorified by it. But we read, but God. Something has changed. You know, I was dead in trespasses and sins. I was a sinner, consumed by sin, and I love sin, but God made me alive together with Christ. But God did something. It's not according to what I did. I had tried. I had walked the aisle and prayed the prayer, but God did something. Is this your testimony that God did something? I walked according to the course of this world, pursuing those things the world has to offer But God raised me up, and he set me on a new course. But God did something. Is this your testimony today that God has done something? Not something you manufacture. Not something that you try to lean hard into and grab a hold of yourself. God reached out his hand, and I reached back. No, God has done something. But God. I walked according to the prince of the power of the air. Because he offered me things that I wanted. I Christian in Pilgrim's Progress. That I'll give you whatever you want. That's the same thing he told Christ when he tempted him. He offered me things that I could have, the desires of my flesh, so I followed him. But the answer is no, God, but God. He introduced me to a different prince, to the prince of peace and the Lord of glory. And he raised me up so that I could follow him. Is that your testimony, that God has done something in you? But God, I was fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Everything I did was about me. Everything I pursued was for myself. But God, but God, He gave me a new heart. He gave me new desires to live by the Spirit and put to death the deeds of the body and of the flesh and of the mind. God did something. And He continues to do that in me. I was a child of wrath headed for destruction. But God made me to sit in heavenly places with Christ. That my eternal future might be secure in him. This is what Paul is telling the church in Ephesus. And he's going to go on to say that because all of this is true about you, this is then how you must live. Based upon what God has done for you in his son and that you are in Christ, this is how you must live. And so I'm telling you this morning, church, if this is true about you, how then shall you live? You want a message on sanctification? This is it. God has saved you, but God, apart from God, you're going to hell. Apart from God, you're going to face his justice. You've received mercy. You want to be holy? Meditate on that. Meditate on what God has done for you in Christ. But if you're not in Christ today, what hope do you have? The Bible says you're without God and without hope. You have no hope until you come to the place where you realize you have no hope. There is no answer for you. There is no salvation for you as long as you have hope in yourself.
Because I said, this is the key, this is the answer. But you want to go from being an Adam over here, this child of destruction, this one headed for, for this eternal flame to a child of God who is in Christ. How do you, what do you have to do to get there? What must you do? And follow that up with, but God, but God, but God. Not anything for you to do in there, is there? Except this. This is what God commands you to do. Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. Be saved. Be transformed and transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light in Christ. How do you come to be in Christ? By looking to God. Looking to God as one who has no hope. Looking to God as one who cannot do it yourself. God must do this. And He must do it to you. It's not a general thing out there that He kind of does. No, salvation is specific. And it's direct. And it confronts you. You're confronted by your sin. Do you see what state you're in before God today? Young people, old people, God has done something. I want you to leave today and say, but God has done something in me. What is my testimony but God? But God. I'm in Christ because of God. I didn't place myself in Christ. God did. God did. Look unto Him and be saved. But you know that God has made Himself known to us, and He's told us how we are to look unto Him. You realize that? In Isaiah, He said, look unto me. You know that God is spirit, and you know that no man has seen God at any time. Did you know that? How is it that you look unto God if no man has seen God at any time? He's shown us who He is in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.26 says, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Faith in Christ Jesus. How is it that you come to be in Christ by having faith in Christ? You see that all of your sin and all of your lawlessness, all of everything that, that marked you as a child of the devil, and all the wrath and fury that that deserved was upon Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the God-man, the one who took it upon himself, and he bore it willingly. It says that he went for the joy that was set before him. He endured this suffering. This Jesus, this one who has stood in your place. You have faith that God poured out the wrath you deserved in him. That he took your place. And you will be in him. Have you ever heard the word propitiation? Double imputation. That God credited to his own son, his perfect spotless son, all of the sin of the people he would save. Would you believe that? That all of your sin, everything that had you marked as a child of wrath, God put all of that on His Son. And then He brought all of His wrath upon His Son in your place. And that He also likewise took the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of Christ, and laid it to your account. That you can be saved by faith in that. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty two says, For as in Adam all die. All die. We all die. If you come to places like this often, if you come to church buildings or funerals, you know that death is all around us. But are we numb to it? Do you think that death is normal? Do you think because animals die and plants die and people die and it just happens all the time? Is death not a horrifying and gruesome thing? 
To go from one minute having life, vitality, that you're animated, that you're able to speak, move, and do things, to dead, to nothing, to decay and rot. That's not normal. That's not okay. That's not the way that God created us. He created us to live life. But you're going to die if you remain in Adam forever. Forever. You're going to die forever. Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. See, there's a dual meaning here in 1 Corinthians 15.22. It's not just saying that someday when Christ returns, you'll be made alive and raised from the dead. It is saying that. But it's saying that even as you were born into this world in Adam, that you were born as one who was living after the sinful desires of your heart because of the sin nature you inherited from Adam, That when you're born again in Christ, in this life now, that you're made alive. There's a reason Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be made alive again. You must have new life. Not the life you were born with. New life in Christ today. If you remain in Adam, you're going to continue down that course of misery and death. What's your answer? Child of God, rejoice. Praise God that you have that testimony that I was doing all of this and I was headed for hell, but God did something and He took me and placed me in His Son. He gave me faith in His Son. Faith is a gift from God. God has done something to you, child of God. Praise Him today. Fall on your face today. Rejoice in that today. It's already been quoted once today that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is also the power of God under sanctification. You look to Christ and the gospel today to be sanctified, to move forward and press on. And don't get caught up in this wishy-washy, I can kind of do this, kind of be a Christian, go to church every now and then and not fully commit to Christ. Because if you're not committed to Him, neither will He entrust Himself to you. That's a terrifying thought. In Scripture, it says that there were those who were believing in Jesus. But he, knowing the hearts of men, did not entrust himself to them. Don't be speaking out of both sides of your mouth when it comes to this Lord of glory. He deserves more than that. There's a disconnect for us because we're finite. Because Christ is eternal, we have no idea what it means that He condescended and became a man. The very one who created us, created all that is, became His own creation. He entered into it. We have no idea what that means. The humility of our God to do this. Don't don't blaspheme Him by offering Him less than you are all. He gave up all to come and die that you might live. Flee to Him. Run to Him. Today, run to Him. Children, you can turn to Christ today. Did you know that? This same message applies to you, that you were born a sinner that deserves the wrath of God. But you can be saved by trusting in Christ, but you must be trusting in Him. Him alone. In Christ alone. That is our hope. That is the foundation of the Christian faith. And if you're in Christ today, you can rejoice because of what God has done for you. And you can leave and say, but God, I suppose that my favorite hymn through all eternity might be, but God. <laughs>
That's enough. That's enough said. But apart from but God, we have no hope. Trust Christ today. And saint, don't forget that. Don't You, you never move past this. I would even charge you with this, charge the elders with this, that as long as what's being preached from this pulpit doesn't find its culmination, its finality, and its purpose in this message of what God has done in Christ, we're missing it. This is the bottom line of everything. I pray that you would look to Him, that you would worship Him, that you would meditate upon Him. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank You for Your mercy today. Thank You for a heartbreaking and glorious reminder of just what You've done. Father, I ask that as we prepare to enter into and remember that very death, broken body and blood of Your Son, Father, that we would be reminded of what it cost for us to have union with You and what it means to be in union with Him. Father, don't let us leave the same as when we came. I ask this in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.